Well, if you would keep, keep your place there in the bulletin or in your Bible, Luke chapter 1, as we begin this Advent series of, of thinking about uh, the wonder that God would welcome the likes of us to witness and for us to be a part of uh, the birth of Jesus, to receive the King uh, who came into the world to fulfill all that God has pro- had promised. Uh, this morning, we look at uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, these sweet folks, godly, um, but probably guarded and hurting. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would come by the power of your Spirit and through the preaching of your word, the reading that we've just heard and the preaching of your word, would you create faith in us as you have promised to do? Would you cause us, because we have heard your story, to trust you no matter what, to hang on to you, no matter what, to believe that you have a good heart and that you love us because of Jesus. We ask all this in his name. Amen. So what prayers have you been praying that have not been answered? Or have not been answered yes, but maybe answered no, or maybe answered wait, not yet. Or perhaps even answered with a simple, trust me, trust me. Maybe they're prayers for physical healing uh, for yourself or for a friend or a family member, and God hasn't done anything. Maybe they're prayers for a rescue from a hard situation, yours or someone else's, and God seemingly hasn't done anything. Maybe you've prayed for a release from shame that you carry. Maybe you've prayed for a release from an addiction or some besetting sin that just doesn't seem to let go. Maybe you've prayed for release from a memory you've carried for years, but God will not release you from these things. Maybe like me, you've prayed for someone you you love dearly to finally come to know Jesus. You've prayed that God would speak, let there be light in their hearts, and it just hasn't happened. And you've prayed these kinds of prayers year after year after year. And aren't these all good things to pray for, after all? I mean... All of these things that I've, that I've listed and, and many of the things that you're praying for could glorify God. And we wonder why he won't answer. I wonder if, like me, you're weary of waiting. Zechariah and Elizabeth know your story. That's their story. They were godly people wondering about God's purpose for their unanswered prayers. They were wounded. 
waiting and weary. They were wounded. Elizabeth was childless. She had two wounds that I thought of as I, as I looked at this story again this week. Um, the wound of undeserved disgrace. Elizabeth said that by giving her a son, God would take away her reproach among the people. You see, in her day, uh, they thought it was a punishment, of, uh, punishment for her sin that she did not have a son, a child. Um, but we just read that Luke said that their reputation was that they were righteous before God and blameless. So this is not a, a punishment for sin that, that she's childless. Uh, this was an undeserved disgrace. And so I wonder, what wounds do you carry that you didn't deserve? What reproach or shame do you long for God to take away? I have plenty of disgrace that I've earned. But I also carry some shameful wounds that came from others outside me. From people who sinned against me and left me to deal with the wounds. And you probably do too. This morning, hear this from God's word. If your story has left you wounded by undeserved disgrace, Jesus welcomes you into his story. But Elizabeth also had the wound of unfulfilled desire. She longs to be a mom. And is this not a good thing to desire? godly, God-glorifying thing to desire. She and, and Zechariah were uh, both from the priestly line of Aaron. So it's very likely that much of her motivation, much of her desire was to raise another priest, a son or a daughter who loved God with all their heart. But this good desire has gone unfulfilled for Elizabeth and Zechariah. What good desire has gone unfulfilled in your story? The desire to be a parent? The desire to be a husband or a wife? To have a job that actually provides for your family? The desire to have healthy relationships with your family or your neighbors or a co-worker, those are all good desires. And so hear me say this morning that if your story includes good desires that have been unfulfilled, then Jesus welcomes you into his story. But Zechariah and Elizabeth were also waiting. Um, lots of waiting in this story. An old man's old prayer has gone unanswered. His prayer for a son, but also his prayer for a savior. Um, when Zechariah was offering incense in the temple in this story, um, he was offering up what is most likely the evening prayer, a, a daily evening prayer uh, in the temple that was representative of the prayers of God's people for the salvation of Israel. 
uh, the incense rising up was symbolic of the prayers of God's people rising to him, crying out for a deliverer to come, for the promised Messiah to come. And while Zechariah was inside the temple praying this prayer, the people were gathered outside praying the same prayer. Every day this happened. Their prayer, Zechariah's prayer for a Savior, was centuries old. It had been going on for centuries. But Zechariah had also been praying for a son. And you might guess that this prayer had been going on for years, or actually that it had actually probably been years since Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed this prayer. Uh, They were old. Zechariah said, I'm an old man. And then he was kind in how he described his wife. He said, she's advanced in years. Remember that, men. She's not an old lady. She's advanced in years. Or maybe in maturity. Um, but, you know, so how, how long had it been since they prayed this prayer? Surely they started praying for a child as soon as they understood that she wasn't able to have one. And so perhaps they prayed that prayer through their 20s, through their 30s, maybe even into their 40s. But at some point you would think they would say, we're kind of past that time. Why pray for that? And by this time, my guess is, and, and part of it, part of why I guess this is because of his reaction to what Gabriel said. Um, I doubt he's prayed for a son lately. Lots of waiting. It may have been at this point 40 or 50 years since the first time they prayed for a son. What good thing have you prayed for over and over and over again, year after year after year, with no response? No clear answer. I want you to hear me say this morning that if your story includes waiting because of unanswered prayers, then Jesus welcomes you into his story. And all that woundedness and all that waiting will make you weary. Some of you are tired. You're worn out. You're worn down. And if the wounds and the waiting in your story have left you weary, then hear me tell you, Jesus welcomes you into his story. And so I would just like to take a few minutes to look at Zechariah and Elizabeth's story and think about how their story intersects with God's story. How, how is their story connected to and caught up in the larger story that God is telling? Because I believe God invites us to see how our little stories connect and are caught up in his larger story too. So uh, for me, the most fascinating part of this story Uh, over the years as I've read it again and again, has been the angel's comment, Gabriel's comment. Remember, he said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. What did he mean when he said your prayer has been heard? 
the immediate context suggests that Gabriel was referring to Zechariah's prayer for her son because Gabriel goes on to say, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. But then as Gabriel goes on to describe John, he says that John will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So he's saying that John is the promised forerunner of the Messiah for whom they've been praying. So which prayer is being answered? That's what's always fascinated me about this this story. Did he mean the ancient prayer for a Savior that Zechariah and God's people had just been praying as Zechariah burned the incense on the altar and then Gabriel showed up? Or did he mean the old prayer that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for a son? Scholars have debated this, but one commentator summarizes what I believe is happening here, and he says it better than I can. He says, is it absolutely necessary to make this choice between which prayer is being answered? Is there not a very close relation between the two prayers? Is it not true that the son to whom Elizabeth would give birth was destined to be the forerunner of the Messiah through whom salvation would come for Israel? In fact, for all God's children, whether Jew or Gentile. So God's answers to both prayers at the same time is John. Is yes, now it's time. And God's answer to both prayers at the same time reveals something that every one of us wounded and waiting and weary souls needs to hear. Your little story of woundedness and waiting is woven into God's larger story of wonder. So let's look at that for a minute. God's larger story is one of providential purpose. So that means we can trust God when we're weary from waiting and woundedness because we can trust God's providential purpose. Um, what, what is providence? What, what do I mean by providential? Apostle Paul explained it this way in Acts 17. He said, from one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And listen, he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Perhaps Paul was reflecting on King David's words in Psalm 139 when he said, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's providence. And we've already seen this morning in our, our liturgy that uh, Heidelberg question number 27 gives us a biblical description of providence. I'm going to read it again. What do you understand by the providence of God? The providence of God is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, which there's been a lot of leaves lately, leaf and blade, rain and drought, a lot of rain lately, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. That's providence. 
Zechariah was chosen by Lot to enter the temple and burn incense, Luke said. This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a priest in those days. In those days, there were 18,000 priests. So to even have the opportunity to be the one who burns incense in the temple uh, was not guaranteed. Uh, so by lot, he was chosen. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. That's providence. It's not chance. It's the Father. God in his providence cares about the details of your life. We have to let that comfort us. Jesus said that not a sparrow can fall from the sky, nor a hair can fall from the head, which for some of us, that's happened more than others. Not a sparrow can fall from the sky, or a hair can fall your, from your head without your heavenly Father knowing about it. And so that's why we read the other question from the catechism, number 28. So how does this knowledge of God's providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. God is in control of precisely when, where, and how he does what he does. And so we have reason to believe God, to trust God, to wait on God. He is working as we wait. His providence is purposeful. In other words, he's got a plan. Paul described it this way in Galatians 4. He said, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And in Romans 5, 6, he said, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God is up to something bigger than all the things we worry about. And as Zechariah's prophecy after John's birth reminds us, God has not been deterred from that original purpose and plan. See, God's people in that day knew that God had promised through his covenants that he was creating a God-centered community on God's mission to multiply God's glory, goodness, and gladness throughout all creation forever. That was his mission. That's what he was doing. And they knew from the story that had been passed down to them that it was the sin of his people that kept getting in the way. And they knew that the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel had described God's new covenant that would deal with the sin that was the problem and deal with it forever. And that God would resurrect his people into a great army for his glory. God's people knew that Isaiah and the other prophets predicted that God would send his servant, capital S, who would be pierced for their transgressions, crushed for their iniquities, by whose wounds they would be healed of their tendency to go astray, because God would lay on him their sins. But see, it, at this time when Zechariah and Elizabeth came on the scene, 
It had been 400 years since God had spoken any more word of this promise through the prophets. 400 years of silence. That's almost twice the age of our nation. We can't fathom how long 400 years is. God's people were waiting for 400 years for the promise to come true, for another prophet that the, uh, that the prophets promised, another prophet like Elijah who would come to prepare the way for the Messiah. And that's where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. They knew what it meant to trust God's purposeful providence and to work for him while they wait on him. See, those prayers that were prayed at the altar of incense were prayers for that promised Redeemer to come. And remember what the Holy Spirit prompted Zechariah to say after John's birth. and read it a minute ago. Zechariah said that God had finally begun to do what he promised, quote, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abraham. And so the emphasis of Gabriel's message to Zechariah was mainly on God's providential purposes, not on Zechariah's personal problems. It was about God sending that promised prophet who would make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah and Elizabeth had purposed and planned to have children years ago. But, but their timing didn't fit God's purposeful providence. Gabriel's message is more about God fulfilling his eternal purpose than about anything else. And, and so, okay, so what does that mean for Zechariah and Elizabeth? What does that mean for us? Well, their story reminds us that we can trust God when we're weary from waiting and woundedness, because God's larger story does involve our little stories. You have to know. You don't have to be afraid. He said, Zechariah, fear not. Don't be afraid. You have to know that if you belong to God, then his timing is for you, not against you. Remember, all of this plan to bring John into the world is part of the plan to to bring Jesus into the world. Jesus, the love of God, wrapped in flesh and blood and given for you. Given in your place to live the life you should have lived. Given in your place to die the death that you you deserve to die, that I deserve to die. For our sins. And so, though this story is not about you, It is most certainly for you and for me. So as we think about how their little story intersects with God's larger story, here are some of the practical implications that that God kind of laid on me as I've been thinking about this story for years. Uh, In three areas, prayer, parenting, and pruning. I'll explain that in a minute. What... What does this all have to do with your prayer life? Here's some thoughts I jotted down. God answers my little prayers according to his larger plans. 
the answers to my prayers are always aligned with God's purposes. The time that God hears and answers my prayer may not be the same as the time that I hear his answer. God heard their prayer straight from the beginning and had an answer. But it took decades for them to hear what the answer was. Or you could say it this way, God always hears my prayers, but I may not always hear his answer to them. Maybe never. So that's one thought, is that my prayers, the answers to my prayers are always going to be aligned to God's purposes. So whether they're yes, no, not yet, wait, they're always, trust me. But also... This is another thing that, even, that God is even more freshly laying on me these days. I can pray for what I want. I can pray for what I want, but I must trust him for what he wants. And look, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is our, is our great model for this. There is Jesus sweating drops of blood under the anxiety of what's facing him. And he says... Lord, take, Father, take this cup away from me. Take this cross away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now listen, here's something I've been thinking about lately that's been convicting to me. We Presbyterians tend to skip to the not my will, but yours be done really quickly. We don't like to live in the asking God for what we want because we know God's in charge, he's sovereign, and he's going to do what he wants when he wants to do it, which is true. But I don't think we follow Jesus' example in prayer by so quickly skipping to the second half. He wrestled with God until he sweat drops of blood and said, God, please. The gospel writers tell us he prayed this prayer three different times. And I don't think they mean that it was just a one-sentence prayer. I think they mean he agonized in prayer. Father, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. And then his conclusion after the wrestling was, nevertheless, not your will, but not my will, but yours. So what I want to encourage us to do is, as Paul Miller says, ask boldly then surrender completely. Experiment with wrestling with the ask boldly part. Have you stopped asking God boldly for the desires of your heart, for the good desires of your heart? That's what happens to me when he doesn't answer them after year, after year, after year, after year, as I stop asking. And that may have been what happened to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but God's answer to them wasn't no. <laughs> There's no reason to stop asking. Ask boldly and, and also surrender completely to God's will. Um, the father said no to Jesus' prayer to remove the cup so that he could say yes to something Jesus wanted more. What did Jesus want more? 
He wanted to do his Father's will, to ransom his people by his blood. The Father said no to Jesus' prayer so that he could say yes to something Jesus wanted more. And so no matter what the Father answers you with no, you can be assured that he's always saying yes to his plan to make you someone who wants to do his will. Even if that costs you. What about the Apostle Paul? You know that in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul said, that he asked for a thorn in the flesh to be removed three different times. Interesting, three different times. And God kept saying no. And finally God said to him, and and we don't know whether it was a physical issue, whether it was, uh, he called it a messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh. We don't know whether it was a besetting sin or a mental condition or a physical condition or, or a relationship with somebody. We don't know what that was. But God's answer to him was, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, God's saying to Paul, and he's saying to you and to me, while you wait, you have my grace. While you wait for the unfolding of your little story, you have the promise of my larger story, that I've sent my son to heal your deepest wounds. I've sent my son to give you rest from your deepest weariness. I've sent my son to be the satisfaction of the thing your soul is waiting for the most. And what your soul is waiting for the most, God says, is me. I'm what your soul waits for. And I've already sent the answer. It's yes in my son. You can have me. Because of Jesus. That's just the implications it has for your prayers. There's more. What about parenting? This is something I I thought of because of this story. I may, okay, remember, it was 400 years of silence. And yet you have Zechariah and Elizabeth, these godly people who are remaining faithful to God, even when God has said no to their prayers, they're still serving him, working with and for him while they wait on him. That that doesn't always just happen. There's something generationally that's been happening. And so this is what it made me think about as a parent. You and I may not be raising John the Baptist, a John the Baptist. We may not be raising the next Billy Graham. We may not be raising the next world leader that uh, loves God and does God's work. We may not be raising the next missionary that reaches a new people group, you know, one of these heroes of the faith. But we may be raising that person's great, 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 great grandmother. So parents, you're passing the faith to your children You need to have a 500, 2,000 year vision that what you're passing on to them, um, you just don't know what God's going to do with your descendants. And besides that, this is what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said, truly I say to you, 
Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John, Jesus said. So maybe you're not raising the great-great-great-great-grandmother of the next Billy Graham or John the Baptist or, or raising the next hero of the faith. But you may, be re, you may be raising the one that Jesus calls the least in the kingdom. And he's greater than John. And no one will know his name or her name. And then finally, pruning. Jesus is always, as a good gardener, pruning my faith, my trust in him, so that it will bear more fruit in my life. This is interesting. Remember that Zechariah could not speak, but you may not recognize this. He also couldn't hear. Remember, they had to make signs to him to ask him, what is the child's name? And then he wrote it on a tablet. His name is John. The fact that they had to make signs to him meant that he couldn't hear them. So he was not only mute, he was deaf. And so I was thinking about this. What was the last thing Zechariah said before he lost the ability to speak? How can I be sure of this? His last words were words of unbelief. And what was the last thing Zechariah heard before he lost his hearing? He heard this from Gabriel. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The last thing he heard and he had to think about for nine months was God saying, you don't believe my words. You don't trust me. Have you forgotten that if I have a plan to do all I've done, I have a plan for you. Folks, my biggest problem is unbelief. It's not anything God is doing or not doing to me. It's not anything anyone else is doing or not doing to me. My biggest problem is my own unbelief. And so in order to wait with hope for Jesus to come, I have to remember with faith what God has already promised. I have to preach the gospel, the first advent to myself every day. And then face forward with hope, looking for his imminent return while living to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven right now. This was cool. Zechariah's name means God has remembered again. God has remembered again. He's remembered his holy covenant, his promise to save his people. And if God has remembered again, that means I need to remember again and again and again. He's pruning my, my faith. He's pruning my trust. So I got to tell you this story before we're done. And I promise I'll be done. Okay. This past weekend, Friday night and Saturday morning, we had our Discover Mountain Fellowship, which is kind of our new members seminar, and uh, I had the privilege of spending a few hours with Joe and Jada Smith, uh, which, where are they? They're sitting over there, um, and uh, Susan Bigelow, 
And we all sat around a table and talked about what does it mean to be God's child and part of God's church. Um, well, Friday night, as we're kind of hearing each other's stories, Joe and Jada uh, told us that they're expecting a third daughter. Congratulations. And, uh, but her, her due date is March 25th. And as they told the story, March 25th is the day after the first anniversary of the sudden death of Joe's younger brother, who was 27, when he died last March 24th. Wow, what a, what a gift. And they were expressing what a gift it was for God to, to maybe redeem that time of the year for them with the gift of this child. Well, it gets better. Saturday morning, they come back and they tell me, they tell me this story. Jada says, you know, I've been anxious for weeks about what, what are we going to name this baby? What's, what's her name going to be? And so I've been sending texts to Joe with a name and a question mark, and I'm sure he's going crazy. Um, and she said, I'm just trying to figure this out. And she said, but a couple of nights ago, I woke up in the middle of the night, and God kind of impressed on me to pray about it. So I just prayed, God, you're going to have to tell me her name. <laughs> and, and she sensed that the answer was, just wait. I'll let you know. Um, and so she was like, okay, I'll wait for your timing. I'll wait till you tell me. Well, then she starts saying, well, last night, as we were sitting around this table and talking about all these things, um, you just kept talking a lot about grace, grace, grace. It's all of God's grace and grace. And, and she said, at some point, it just kind of landed on me. <gasps> Her name is Grace. Her name is Grace. So they went home, and she was thinking to herself, I think her name is Grace, but I haven't talked to Joe about this. I wonder what he's going to say when I say, I think her name is Grace, and you know, is he going to be cool with that? And So she finally got the courage, and she said, she said, Joe, God just kind of landed on me this tonight as we were talking that I, I think I have a name. I know her name. He didn't say what it was. And Joe took his hand and opened it, and he said, is this it? And written on the palm of his hand was grace. He wrote it Friday night while we were talking about grace. They hadn't talked about this. And of course, she said they just blubbered all over the place, and then all of us sitting at the table, Susan and I were going, man, oh. What a beautiful picture of how our little stories are connected and caught up in his larger story of grace. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Jimmy, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story had a happy ending. Joe and Jada's story, that's a happy, that's a happy conclusion. Not all prayers are answered in such a happy way. Sometimes they're never answered in the way we want them to be. I, you're right. Sometimes God doesn't do that. He doesn't give you the happy ending story. And I don't know why. 
he has no, he's given me some happy ending stories and he's not answered some others. I don't know why. There's still wounds and waiting and weariness that he's not taken away from you. But his larger story for you is still true. Friends, if you right now could go to your Father in heaven and say, open your hand, I want to know what you have for me, it would say grace. It would say grace. If you could go to Jesus right now and say, open your hand, Jesus, I want to know what you have for me, you'd find a scar, a wound. Thomas didn't believe him. And Jesus held out his hands to Thomas and said, put your fingers in my wounds. Stop disbelieving. Trust me. Father, this table... This table is Jesus holding out his hands and saying, what do I have in my hand for you? I have grace. My wounds have healed your wounds, your deepest wounds. And these scars promise that all your wounds will be dealt with one day. All your waiting will be over and the weariness will turn to rest. Father, that's what this table is about and that's why we long to come to it because we need to remember again your grace which is sufficient in our waiting. In Christ's name I pray, amen.